Hello and welcome back to the Mindfulness with Art podcast. I'm so delighted to have you. My name is Art and I'm uh, going to talk about a little mindfulness as I do every day. <laughs> um, so a lot of the, there's sort of a division in uh, sort of types of mindfulness. A lot of the mindfulness practices that, um, that I talk about so far in this, uh, in this podcast uh, have been really focused on, um, you know, sort of inwardly um, directed attention. Okay, so like when we're when we're sitting in meditation and we're focusing our attention on our breath, you know, that's something where we're trying to sort of, you know, get inside of ourselves and and sort of regulate and monitor what's happening within ourselves and within our mind, within our thoughts, within our you know bodies. You know, a lot of times there's another um, great exercise called the body scan, which we'll get into another time. That um, that includes really focusing on the sensations of your body um, for you know for whatever time you're meditating. Uh, it's really helpful to do this as a guided meditation first, uh, but soon you can just do it on your own and you can do it at any time. I mean, you could do a quick body scan even while you're sitting at your desk, but, but the process includes, you know, really tuning in to what's happening within your body. And, and there's really, really helpful reasons to do that. Um, but they all kind of come from this sort of sense of understanding and knowing ourselves. Okay. Um, however, that's only half the story when we talk about mindfulness. Okay. Um, you know, mindfulness is, is really, you know, the, that sort of inwardly directed um, sort of angle of mindfulness is super important because it does help us relieve anxiety. It does help us to focus. It helps us to, um, to, to be able to calm ourselves when we want to um, or when we need to. And, uh, and it helps us to understand where we're, you know, when we are not calm or when we're, we're starting to feel anxiety rise within us and, and this kind of thing. Okay. So these things are enormously important, right? But there's also this part of mindfulness that kind of takes it from within us into the world, okay? And that's sort of where, you know, it becomes like, you know, interpersonal, like as opposed to intrapersonal, right? So, so when we're, when we're conversing with other people, for instance, or interacting with people on any level, you know, our mindfulness can, can, our mindfulness practices can come in really, really strongly handy for these you know, occasions, and they can really help to improve our lives because so much of our lives are dependent on the interaction of, you know, of ourselves with other people, right? Um, you know, whether you're at work, whether you're, you know, um, in a social uh, situation, you know, just there's almost endless ways to describe how, how the interaction that you will have with another person is going to, you know, either improve your life or not improve your life or somehow increase or decrease your status in some way. And these are all very important things to people. And so, so that's why mindfulness uh, practices become something that are really, really um, sort of important for, you know, for your entire life, not just this, this idea of feeling good and not just this idea of being able to sort of regulate yourself and, and sort of, um, you know, these things that are just good for yourself in terms of, you know, how you're feeling and, and how you're sort of, um, you know, uh, placing yourself within the world, if you will. Okay. And so one of these really important, um, aspects of mindfulness in an interpersonal level, um, <clears throat> would be what I call active listening. It's not just me that calls it. It's a pretty common term actually. Um, so active listening is, is, um, 
is in and of itself a, a practice of mindfulness, okay? So most of the time, most people, <laughs> um, we listen to respond, okay? We don't listen to understand, okay? So, so in other words, when, when you're sitting there talking to somebody and, and they're telling you something about their day or they're telling you about something about their family or, or, they're telling about, or you're discussing some sort of topic that's, that's important to both of you, let's say you're talking about, um, you know, a, a sports team or something, right? And, and so while you're listening to them talk, you know, something in your, in your brain gets triggered when they're talking and you say, oh, wow, that's a point I want to make. And so from that point forward, you're pretty much just waiting for the other person to pause so that you can jump in and make your point. Okay. Now, the, the trouble is that from that moment that you had that trigger and said, oh, this is what I want to say next. From that point forward, you're not really listening to what the other person's saying. You're just sort of holding on to that thought that you have that you want to express to the other person, right? Does that sound familiar? I mean, does that ring a bell with anybody? I'm sure it does because it's, it's pretty common. I mean, it's almost like universally common, in fact. Um, and so what active listening does is it, is it encourages us or, or actually sort of dictates that we, instead of listening to respond, we listen to understand, okay? And when we can listen to understand, what it means is that we have to listen, you know, the entire time. And we have to actively listen, just like the name says. And, um, and only if we can actively listen are we going to be able to understand what it is that the other person's saying, okay? <clears throat> now, there are tons of benefits um, from, for, you know, for, that come out of this active listening. Um, you know, to name a couple would be uh, increased level of empathy, right? Because if you can really understand another person, right, and you, and you, you know, really invest yourself in, in truly understanding what this person is trying to express to you, then, then that's going to let you feel empathy for that person which again is part of emotional intelligence, okay? And so, you know, I'm going to repeat myself here that emotional intelligence is um, seen by pretty universally in the psych psychology world as more, more uh, accurate uh, gauge on how quote-unquote smart someone is than an IQ test would be, right? Or an intelligence quotient itself would be. So therefore... By increasing uh, empathy, you're actually incre increasing your own emotional intelligence. And by increasing your own emotional intelligence, you're actually increasing your, you know, overall intelligence. So, so that's a huge benefit. <laughs> um, to me, I always like things that make me smarter. <laughs> um, but also just the effectiveness of communication, right? Like this is a huge, huge deal with, when it comes to actively listening, you know, or, or the lack of actively listening. Um, you know, the, the word communication comes from the word commune, right, which is to come together, right? So, so when we are communicating with someone in a conversation, we're, we're trying to come together with them. It's, it's an exchange of energy between the two people, okay, that, that the energy is just in the form of ideas, right? And so if you're not actively engaged with what the, other per, the speaker is, is saying to you, then you're actually, you're not really furthering communication, you're actually cutting communication off. Okay, because because it's like their energy is coming to you and then it's stopping, right? Like it, it needs to kind of like, you know, like the, the true communication is for you to really understand what the other person is saying and then sort of, you know, 
through a di- you know sort of a you know almost like digest what they're saying and then send the energy back to them. If you're just constantly thinking about you know like okay this is the point I want to make and the person's just sitting there going blah 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 blah, then that's not really communication. That's just two people expressing ideas to one another. Okay, and that's not truly communication. So. Um, So if you want to increase your communication and fuel your communication and therefore increase the fruits of your communication, then active listening is a great way to do that. Okay. Um, now, as I mentioned, active listening becomes a a practice of mindfulness on its own. Okay. Um, and in as much it, it requires us to be present with the speaker, right? Like, like we can't be, you know, we can't be like thinking of the future or the past, you know, or, or think about anything else. We have to be present with this person or else there's no way for us to actively listen to them, right? So, so by practicing actively listening, you're actually practicing your mindfulness. Now, if you recall from some of my previous episodes here, one of the things that I really, um, you know, hang my hat on with mindfulness is the idea that it can be added to your daily activities, okay? It doesn't have to mean, um, you know, sitting on a, on a cushion for two hours a day meditating, okay? Even though, you know, again, some meditation is very important. However, it doesn't require meditation, um, or I shouldn't say it doesn't require meditation. It doesn't require a lot of meditation, okay? And if we can add you know, add mindfulness training or, or exercises to the things that we're already doing throughout the day, then we increase this level of mindfulness for us. We get all the benefits of mindfulness as if we were spending two or three hours on a meditation cushion, which many people in this world don't have the time to do. So, Therefore, <laughs> um, any of these practices we can find are going to be helpful. And, and listening and, and in conversation is a huge one for, for most people. Most people have many conversations throughout the day. Most people can um, certainly uh, you know, um, you know, use this as a tool because it's, it's always there for us, right? Like every conversation you have can be used. You, know, you can practice active listening. Okay, so whether that's conversations at work, conversations with your friends, even conversations at a, uh, you know, at a bike shop, getting your flat tire fixed or, or at a grocery store, you know, asking about, um, you know, a, a product or whatever. You know, these are all opportunities for you to practice actively listening. And the more you practice actively listening, the more you are increasing your level of mindfulness, which is, you know, again, giving you all the benefits of the ability to calm your mind, to, to sort of um, relieve anxiety, to relieve depression, to, uh, to relieve stress. You know, all these things are going to be fruits of this practice. Okay, so I don't want you to think like this is just something that's like, you know, well, I'm fine the way I communicate. I don't need this stuff. It's not about that. Okay, it's about, you know, again, increasing your level of mindfulness through practices that you do every day so that you don't have to spend, you know, two or three hours meditating every day. Okay, and so, um, so the other thing that the, the other reason, the other way in which this becomes a practice of mindfulness is that you can't be, you know, sort of thinking in the future or the past while you're, um, while you're listening to somebody actively, right? Like you, you have to, um, 
you know, if you dwell on either of the uh, of the future or the past during a conversation, you're going to lose track of what the person said, right? So if you're thinking of the outcome of a of a of a conversation that you're having, you're no longer actively listening in that conversation, and therefore you're going to lose track. Okay, so um, so just like anything else, it's or just like any of the other mindfulness practices, it's about you know sort of finding when you've <laughs> when you've stopped actively listening, and then gently and non judgmentally bringing yourself back. Okay, so. The same way as if you're um, you're sitting there counting your breaths, like I've taught you in the in the first couple of episodes, and you find yourself thinking about your grocery list that you gotta go get for tomorrow. Um, you know, by doing that, you you know, or when you realize that you have done that and you're thinking about your groceries instead of focusing on your breath, you simply you simply bring your attention back. You start counting from one again, and and that is the process of of exercising mindfulness okay and and by doing that you're just like you're going to the gym and doing curls okay you're the more times you do it the more exercise you get and the more exercise you get the easier it becomes okay so the same thing applies with actively listening okay um you know when you're sitting there talking to somebody and you find that your mind is sort of you know attaching itself to um to like an idea that you want to express as opposed to listening to the the ideas being expressed from your friend or your colleague or the person at the store, you simply gently, you know, acknowledge it and without judgment, bring yourself back to the the practice of actively listening to the person, okay? Now, in the beginning, it's okay to be like, oh, I lost track of what you're saying. Could you repeat that for me? You know, that kind of thing. It's totally fine, you know, totally fine. And, um, and the more you do it, the better you're going to become at it, okay? So now here's the thing. There's a couple of really great ways to practice this, and I'm going to tell you about them right now. Um, so, oh, but before I do that, let me just mention that, that just like the rest of the mindfulness practices that I've, I've told you about and the ones that I'm going to tell you about in the future, um, when we practice actively listening, right, it, it results in a mental habit, okay? And that's what this stuff is all about. It's all about creating mental habits, okay? Because, again, if you remember, um, I believe in probably the very first episode I recorded here, you know, I talk about the fact that, that we all are constantly operating under mental habits all the time. Right, whether we know it or not, or whether they're positive mental habits or not, we are always operating from the point of mental habits. It's just the way the human mind works. Okay, it's not you know the human brain does not want to have to evaluate every single situation every single time. So it just it's constantly working from the the framework of you know of a familiar situation. And so this is how I always reply to uh, how I always respond to this familiar situation. And so that is the habit part of it. Okay, um, so just like the rest of our mental habits, uh, actively listening, active listening, pardon me, can become a mental habit of its own. Okay, and, and just like I'm saying, right now, most people are in the mental habit of not actively listening. They're in the habit of listening to respond as opposed to listening to understand. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to practice this so that it becomes a mental habit where we don't have to try anymore, okay? It just becomes sort of your default position where every time you listen to someone, you're going to be listening actively, okay? And, and one thing I can tell you for absolute sure, okay, is that when you do actively listen to someone, 
they realize it. Okay. They recognize it. Not, not only because most people don't. Okay. So it's like, it feels different to most people. Like, like, wow, you're really paying attention to what I'm saying. This feels different from most conversations that I have. Right. But not only that, but they, they just, they sense the engagement that you have. Okay. And, and that is important to people. Okay. Because it it feels good. Okay. It feels like they're, they're being heard and they're being felt. Okay. And when people feel that way, they feel good. And when people feel good, they, they generally respond in kind. Okay. So, so you might ask, well, well, Art, so what, what's the big deal with that? Who cares? Right. So picture yourself on a job interview. Okay. Or, or in a meeting with your supervisor at work, right? If, if the person on the other end of the desk uh, or the other side of the conference table feels as though you are the person who is listening to them more than say another person is, then you are going to be likely to be the person who's going to get the job or get some level of recognition from your, you know, your supervisor or, or what have you. Okay. Um, same thing, like if you're in sales, right? I mean, this is huge. If you're in, in a sales position and you're, you know, talking to a prospect or even an existing client, and instead of sort of cutting them off half the time and, and just sort of making your point and coming across as somebody who just is more concerned with selling them something than it is, than, than it is that you're understanding them, that's going to come off right? That's going to come across in, in, in your demeanor. And that's why most salespeople have a bad name, frankly, right? However, if you are the one salesperson <laughs> that that customer talks to and says, you know what, every time, and they're not going to say this outwardly, they're just going to think it and, and might not even be consciously thinking of it. It could just be a, a feeling that they have, but, but the feeling is going to translate to, you know what, all the other salespeople that I deal with, I feel like they're always sort of just, you know, kind of just, you know, not listening to me. They just want to tell me about the next product they want to sell me or, or they just want to, you know, upsell me on something. They just want to do this. They just want to do that. But this person right here in front of me, she's always listening to me. And I really feel like she always is trying to understand me before she tries to sell me something. And you know what? I really appreciate that. And you know what else? I really trust her because of that. Okay. So how many salespeople out there have a hard time with getting people to trust them or how many people have, how many salespeople have dealt with trust issues with their clients before? Okay. It's a huge thing for salespeople. Okay. And, um, and so most salespeople don't really, you know, don't let that get in their way. They just sort of keep going because they, they, you know, their goal is not to be trusted. Their goal is to make the sale. Right. However, if you can do both, what does that do for you? What does that do for your career? Right. What does that do for the next sales? Right. And uh, and so to me, that seems like a very valuable asset. <laughs> so I'm just trying to illustrate to you ways in which. Oh, and then, of course, there's another one. Right. <laughs> How about your spouse? Right. I mean, come on. Seriously. Like if you come home and you are able to to really make your spouse feel that you are listening to him or her in order to understand them right? Like, like that you really are interested in, in hearing what they are saying, right? That that is going to open up a fountain of good emotions, right? That's going to come, that's going to come through and it's going to benefit you in ways that you can't even imagine, right? And then of course, the same thing applies with, with children, okay? If you are parents out there, um, again, 
the research is very, very clear that, that the more presence we can be with our kids, that that could be the, the single most important thing that you can do for your kids is to give them your presence. Okay. And again, this isn't just art saying this, this is documented in study after study, research after research that, that the kids who grow up with parents who are present with them, they across the board, they do better. They get into better schools, they get better jobs, they get better, you know, they're in better relationships themselves, right? Because we're, as we grow up, we're always modeling, you know, our own things after those things that our parents did for us, right? So if, if you have a parent who is, you know, who is really present with you, then you're not going to settle for, for a relationship with someone who isn't present with you, okay? And so, so you're just, you know, by doing this for your children, you're elevating things for them in ways that, that it are hard to even describe, quite frankly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I hope you understand how this can benefit so many people in your lives and, and benefit you in your life <laughs> in a way that is, uh, they can be actually measured, you know, in terms of profit and loss, whether it's monetarily or with our, our loving relationships or, or even just getting what we want in the world, okay? It's just, it's so, so important, okay? So, um, so I hope I've, I've made you understand that. And with that, I would like to share with you a practice on how to develop active listening, okay? And it's, and it's really super simple, as are most of these, <laughs> these mindfulness practices. They're all really, really simple, and that's kind of the point, okay? Um, so, so active listening exercise is uh, also known as looping, okay? And it's, and it's really simple. Now, there's sort of a, a formal way to do it and an informal way to do it, just like there are with many of the different practices I use. Um, so, so to formally do it, what you would do is you would find someone to work with, right? It could be your spouse. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. doesn't matter at all. It could be your child. It could be anybody, okay? can't really be your dog because <laughs> they have to be able to talk back to you um, unless your dog does talk to you, in which case I want to talk to you too because I want to find out more about that. <laughs> but, um, but essentially, uh, you just need to find someone who you can work with on this, okay? So, so let's say I do it with my wife. And uh, so let's say you're doing it with your spouse too. Um, so basically what you're going to do is you're going to sit down together uh, across the table or on the couch, whatever, somewhere comfortable, um, and where you're not going to be interrupted. Okay, that's kind of important. So wait till the kids go to bed or, or wait till, you know, or, or get into a place where it's not going to be, you know, phones ringing and, and people interrupting you. Okay. Um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to each give each other three minutes. Okay. So, so set a timer. And so for three minutes, let's say you let your wife talk first, right? <laughs> Which if you're smart, that's usually what you do anyway, <laughs> just because it's kind, not because of any sexist thing, just because it's kind. Um, so, so like for me, I always let my wife go first. So, so, okay. You know, she's got three minutes now during that three minutes. Okay. That's really, really, here's the only really important things that you have to do. Okay. Number one is those are her three minutes. Okay. They're not yours. They're hers. So, so even if she runs out of things to, to say, you just sit there quietly until something comes up. Okay. Now the rules for you are that you cannot guide the conversation in any way. 
Okay, so that means you can't like say, oh, really to something because then she's going to change the path of her conversation based on your interest in that one point. Okay, so so however, the idea is also not to be just a blank stare like you want to you want to give like a nod. You want to that kind of thing. You want to just generally make little gestures and and um, and indications that you're listening. Okay, but you want to stay away from doing anything more than that, because, again, the key is that you're not guiding this um, conversation in any way. Okay, because it's her time, not yours. Okay, so you do that for three minutes and you let her talk about whatever she wants to talk about. And again, if she runs out of things to talk about. Just sit there quietly until something else comes up, okay? It's just that that's really the, the only thing that you got to really worry about, those two things, okay? Um, and then at the end of the three minutes, okay, when the timer goes off, you simply say to her, wow, thanks for sharing all that. I would like to repeat back what I heard to make sure I understood you. Okay, and at that point, now the idea is not to repeat back verbatim. Okay, we're not a robot tape recorder just kind of repeating back. The idea is to take, you know, sort of a paraphrasing of everything you understood from what she said to you. Okay, so uh, now a lot of times you're not going to remember everything, which is totally fine. Okay, what you do is you, you go through as much of what she said that you do remember. Okay, and you repeat it back to her, and at that point, she either says, wow, I really feel heard, thank you very much, or she says, you know, I feel very heard with all the things you just repeated back, but you missed this one thing, or, or I think you misunderstood what I said on this other thing, or I just wanted to be more clear on this other thing, and let her come back to you if there was something that you either missed or misunderstood, and, and just, you know, and then after she does that, do the same thing, just kind of reflect it back to her, okay? So, so maybe you could think of it in terms of reflecting back instead of repeating back, okay? So it doesn't become this sort of, you know, like I said, this robotic um you know, repeti- you know, recording playback kind of thing, because that's not really the point. The point is to, to make sure that, you know, to make her feel that you understood what she said, okay? And so at the point, you go back and forth with that till the point where she feels like you have completely heard her and she's satisfied that, sh- that she feels heard, okay? And then it's your turn. Then you simply reset the timer for three minutes and do the same thing where she listens to you, okay? And again, do not make any sort of leading uh, comments or, or reactions. Just, you know, really just try to be as neutral as possible. Just, you know, letting the person know that you're, you're alive and listening. So nodding your head or maybe an mm-hmm kind of thing here and there, but nothing more than that. Okay. And, uh, and at the end of the three minutes, she would re- reflect back to you what it is that you said. Okay, and then you have the chance to to uh, to correct her or or ask her to, you know, to listen to something again because something was misunderstood or or tell her that she forgot something and repeat it back. Repeat that thing to her again. Um, So I hope that makes sense. And that's that's really the whole exercise. Oh, wait, there is the informal way to do that. Right. So if you don't have somebody like. You know, there's plenty of single people out there, I'm sure, you know, and uh, so, so if you don't have someone to practice this with, that's totally fine, okay? You can totally do this informally too, okay? Anytime you're in a conversation with someone, okay, you can do the same thing. You're just not going to set a timer and you're not going to, you know, sort of, um, you know, make it such a structured thing. All you're going to do is say you're talking to a friend at work, okay? 
And this person's telling you about their weekend. It's Monday morning and they're telling you about what happened over the weekend, right? So most of the time we would be sitting there saying, oh yeah, that happened to you. Well, listen to what happened to me, you know? So, so instead of that, just set the intention to listen to your colleague about his or her weekend and, and really just try to understand what they're saying, okay? Just, just, just really pay attention. Just focus on it, okay? And when you do that, at the end of, say, you know, what you think is about three minutes, it doesn't have to be exact, but, but at the, you know, when, whenever the person pauses, you can say, hey, I just want to make sure I understood what you were saying. And I, I just reflect back to you because I just want to make sure I understood, you know, and then you reflect back, okay? That alone is going to be such great practice and is going to, you know, not only help you with practicing the active listening on your end, but it's also going to help that person to really feel heard. Okay. And again, when people feel heard, they feel felt. And when people feel felt, they feel good about it. Okay. Um, so I hope that's clear. I hope everybody understands what I'm talking about here. And, uh, and I hope you try it because it's really, it's a, it's a, fascinatingly uh, beneficial uh, exercise for both parties involved. And it also really results in some really positive changes in your, your own ability to communicate more effectively. And, uh, and again, it, it, the rewards are, you know, multifaceted and, um, and really like can go pretty deep. Um, so if you have any questions, again, the email is art at B, uh, artburnsmiles at gmail.com or find me on Facebook uh, on the Mindfulness with Art uh, Facebook group or page rather. And, um, and yeah, hit me up and I'll, uh, I'll certainly go further on this and, and sort of explain it further. And uh, I'd love to do that. So, uh, so I'm going to sign off now and I thank you for listening. And uh, as always, I wish you well. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Mindfulness with Art podcast. Um, I'm coming at you tonight from my chilly car in front of my house because it's about 1045 at night. My kids and wife are sleeping and uh, I promised myself and someone else that I was going to do a podcast every single day and by gummit, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and uh, even if that means shivering out in, in my car in front of my house in the Colorado uh, February evening here, which is about 22 degrees or so. <laughs> but anyway, I'm really glad to be getting this one in and I'm here to talk to you. Um, you know, not so much about mindfulness tonight, actually. I wanted to go a little bit deeper into, um, into the reason why <clears throat> I came to be known as angry art. <laughs> if, uh, if you've listened to any of these episodes before you, uh, you would know that, um, that I talk about this a lot, that I've mentioned it quite a few times. Um, I had a cafe uh, where I had a um, an employee who was, you know, the uh, sort of barista of my shop, and she made up a, you know, she made up this coffee drink and said, "Hey, look, I made a new drink. It's called the Angry Art," <laughs> and um, obviously it was not flattering. Uh, but I want to tell you how I got to that point because I, I do mention it a lot, and it's. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think maybe a little backstory here is in, in order. Um, and so, so here's the deal. Um, we're going back about, um, geez, almost 10 years ago now. Um, I was in my third career, um, 
I had uh, I'd gotten out of school. I'd gotten out of high school and wanted to uh, wanted to be an artist, really. So I went to art school, um, wound up, um, you know, just partying a lot more than I was doing any kind of art at all. And so, um, so quickly, you know, within about two years, I decided this was not for me. I was not uh, spending my time wisely, and I was not spending my money wisely, and it was not a good idea for me to keep going in the direction I was going. And um, that right there might have been the last good decision I made for the next, you know, couple of decades. Um, but basically, I went back to New York City after, uh, you know, about two years in California going to art school. Um, <clears throat> came back kind of with my tail between my legs and, um, and pretty soon after that, uh, after bumming around for a few months and trying to, you know, driving trucks for a living and stuff like that, which again, this might've been the happiest time of my life, you know, just driving, uh, delivery trucks around New York city, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Um, but, uh, eventually my, uh, you know, I was sort of lured by the dollar sign. Okay. And that means that I went to work in a company where my father was a, uh, a high level uh, salesperson. Okay. So, um, he got me a job inside sort of the factory as a printing company, he got me a job inside the factory part of the printing company. Um, and before long, I kind of became a junior salesperson, similar to what he was doing, uh, worked with some of his clients, sort of tried to develop some of my own. And the idea was that I was, I was at this point kind of thinking like, well, if I'm not going to be an artist, at least I want to make money, you know? And so I, um, so I was sort of in this trap that like at some point down the road, I was going to make enough money that I was going to be happy. Okay. And that was sort of my, that was my only plan <laughs> was to keep working until it got to the point where I was, I was making enough money to be happy. Okay. And, um, and so I went about that for, I mean, it was, you know, a good, like, let's see, at least like 10 or 12 years that I worked in that situation, um, never got to that point where I made enough money to be happy. That much was for sure. Uh, but what I did become was I became very sort of, um, I became a, a sort of not happy person. Um, you know, and it was beyond money. It was just, I was really stressed out. I was, uh, constantly, just, um, I always felt as if I didn't have enough time in my life. I always felt like I was running around and just not, not being happy at all. And, uh, and at a certain point it seemed as though, you know, you know, whether I was going to make the money or not, it didn't really matter. I just wasn't finding any happiness. So from there, I decided to start my second career, which was essentially just doing the same thing on the other side of things, right? So instead of selling the products of printing, I wound up buying the products of printing at an advertising agency, okay? And and for the first couple of years, it was great. It was a lot of fun, you know, it was like kind of, you know, a sort of more mellow, um, sort of situation rather than running around all day. I was kind of just sitting around all day, you know, like the, the salespeople were doing the run around and then coming to me. Uh, however, I did have to travel a lot and, uh, and I did have to, um, you know, I was away from the woman who was going to become my wife eventually. And, uh, 
And I, I, again, was not really happy. And again, it always felt as though, you know, I was going to be happy someday, right? I just needed to like get to a certain point. So, so at first it was the sales thing. It was like, as long as I get enough money, I'll be happy someday. And, uh, and then that, you know, just kind of got too tiring. And then it became, well, as soon as I get a high enough position within the ad agency, then I'll be happy, you know, because I'll have, you know, really, I won't have to work that hard. I'll have lots of people sort of, you know, doing stuff for me and, and I can, you know, kind of, then I'll be happy, you know, it's sort of like the power instead of the money. Right. And then, um, I never got to a point where I was feeling like that, even though I did have some really good, you know, uh, very high level positions and I had lots of people, you know, I had an assistant, I had an expense account, I had a corporate credit card. I used to fly around the world in the, you know, business class or first class staying at fancy hotels. I was, you know, I was, you know, doing pretty well. But again, I just wasn't happy. I just felt that at some point happiness would come, but it was it was always over that hill somewhere, you know, and um, and at that point, uh, you know, along comes 2008 uh, with the financial collapse of 2008. And um, so my daughter was born in October of 2008. And um, so like literally like a month after she was born, the entire financial world came crumbling down around us. And the advertising industry is always very hard hit when it comes down to um, to a, a big, you know, uh, recession of any kind because, you know, budgets are slashed and, and therefore, you know, the people working at the ad agencies are much more expendable. You definitely don't need the amount of people. And I got caught in the middle. I was not high enough uh, level executive to, to make it past that. And so I, and I wasn't low enough that I wasn't making a lot of money. So, you know, they would keep me. So basically I, I lost my job. It was a blast, believe me, like three months after my daughter was born and now I'm, I'm, you know, uh, unemployed and, you know, we didn't know what the heck was going on. And my wife had given up her job because the idea was that I was going to keep working and she was going to stay home with the, with the daughter. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was crazy like that. And, um, and so again, nothing felt right. So, so what we did was the idea was that we were going to stay close to home and be a, um, you know, like I was going to do something that was going to be close to home so that I could be close to my family. And, um, and so the only thing that I could think being a kid from New York city and, uh, and in a town about an hour or so outside of New York city, we decided that we would open a bagel shop and that was a great idea. So, um, <clears throat> so we did that. I basically broke open the piggy bank, spent every dollar that we had, uh, and borrowed a lot more on top of that to open this bagel shop. And then the idea then was that, um, was that eventually I would, I would open another bagel shop and then another one and another one. And we used to joke around that I would, I would eventually become the, the bagel king of the Hudson Valley. And, uh, and that was where I had my sights set at this point. So again, it was always this sort of future based happiness. It was always this idea that, that somewhere over the hill was going to be my happiness. Um, but I hadn't found it yet. So, um, so there I was, um, running a bagel shop, which I had no idea how to run a bagel shop. That, that was definitely not a very bright move for me. Um, I basically spent a ton of money, went deep into debt and, um, and just felt like I, I, you know, I needed to make it work, right? Because, uh, financial failure was not an option. That was never an option for me. And it certainly wasn't now. 
Um, I needed to progress and I needed to get, you know, higher and higher and higher in terms of the money I was making so that I could eventually be happy. Okay. Because again, happiness was somewhere out over that hill in front of me where it was just as long as I could work hard enough, I could make enough money and I would finally be happy. Right. And so about two or three years into that, um, I, you know, I was really like as stressed out as I had ever been. Um, because again, I wasn't really good at running a bagel shop. <laughs> I, uh, I taught myself how to make the bagels, which I, I did pretty well. Um, but in terms of running the shop and having people report to me now, understand the last time I had people report to me, it was, I was a big, you know, fancy schmancy advertising executive. And these, the people reporting to me were kids who were basically making, you know, $20,000 a year or so. And the only way for them to make more money was to make people like me happy. And so, uh, so there was a lot of ass kicking, kissing going on. It's, Pardon my French. Um, so, so at that point, um, you know, when I left that position and went into the uh, bagel shop position, now all of a sudden I'm dealing with people who are making, you know, ten or twelve dollars an hour, um, and you know they could make ten or ten, twelve dollars an hour anywhere. It wasn't like my bagel shop was anything special. And so as a result of that, I had a very high turnover. I had a very hard time keeping people here because I was still treating people as though they were you know, advertising people, junior advertising people trying to climb the corporate ladder, um, you know, and I was some combination of like Chef Ramsey and like a creative director from New York, like a, one of the guys from Mad Men, you know, and it was just, it was a disaster. <laughs> it really was. Um, and I just remember that it was like, I always felt like I was in survival mode because this was, you know, again, it was like, I just, I knew that I had to make this thing succeed. And I knew the only way to make this thing succeed was to keep pushing and, and, you know, earn more money, invest more money, you know, try to grow. Okay. It was always about trying to get more, you know, money on some level, whether it was immediate or long-term, it didn't matter. It was just, it was required of me to keep pushing and keep, you know, the money machine going. And, uh, and this, my friends in large part was, was the problem. You know, I was so focused on, on this idea of, of earning more money that I just forgot about everything else, most particularly about my own happiness. Okay. At this point, you know, for, for the last 20 years now, uh, at this point, you know, I had, I had just sacrificed any, any sort of, you know, desire for my own happiness. It wasn't about my happiness anymore as of right now. It was about some happiness that was going to be attained once I somehow finally succeeded in in this thing, right? And and I couldn't even define it at the time. I, I couldn't have told you at the time like that there was some sort of metric that this is how much I have to make and that's when I'm going to be happy. I didn't even have that kind of clear view of it. All I knew was that somewhere out there was my happiness and I had to keep striving for that. Okay. Now, what I'm describing to you is basically everything that is the opposite of mindfulness. And, uh, and if I had known then what I know now, I could have saved myself an enormous amount of trouble. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so there I am 
um, oh, by the way, at this point we had a second child because that was again a really good idea, right? <laughs> you know, when when we're uh, struggling with enormous, you know, crippling debt, and uh, I was working about, you know, I mean, at the time when we had our our son, our second child, I was only working, you know, five days a week, which wasn't crazy. But when my son was born, I actually wound up working for I think it was five months in a row. I worked seven days a week, and that's no lie. That is no exaggeration at all. Uh, until the five months later, I started um, closing one day a week just so that I could get some rest. Okay, because at the time my wife had been the other person working there, you know, so it was like either she was there or I was there at all times, and then that all changed once she had two kids to worry about instead of just one who could kind of, you know, we could do daycare and we could do, um, you know, the, the school thing and everything else. It was just now she just had both of them and there was no relief for her. And so therefore there was no relief for me. And so I wound up literally working seven days a week for, uh, for five months. And then after that, it was six days a week for, I I mean, forever pretty much. And, um, that translated into like 80 to 90 hours a week. And, uh, and I was absolutely totally burnt out and, um, and I didn't even know how burnt out I was. The only thing I knew was that I was always tired, like always, always tired. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so there I was trying to manage a bunch of, uh, young people who were, you know, 10 to 15 years younger than me. I had two kids to feed now and a wife who wasn't working and I was, um, I was truly at my wits end. And so what happens when you're in that kind of situation, so stress is the, <clears throat> is the lack of homeostasis, right? So, so homeostasis is when your organism of, of your body is, is in balance with itself, right? And so, so when you get knocked out of homeostasis, when you're, you know, you're either not sleeping enough, you're not eating enough, you're not, um, you know, resting enough, or you're, you're just constantly pushing yourself too much, you know, that's what stress, that's what becomes stress, right? And, and so I was living stress on such a high level, and there is no organism in, in the world, okay, on earth, there's no organism, no animal, no fish, no bird, <clears throat> no reptile, no amphibian, no creature whatsoever can live with stress on a prolonged level like I was trying to do. Okay. <clears throat> and what happens is when you're when you're living with that kind of stress on a prolonged level, the stress becomes something that becomes like a muscle memory. Okay. So so no matter what's going on in your in your situation in your life, you get triggered by the stressors so much easier. And that's what was happening to me. Okay. So, um, so therefore I would get, um, you know, I'll never forget the day too, that this, this girl came working for us. And I mean, she was nice enough, you know, we had just gotten the espresso machine. So it was like, okay, we're going to start making espresso and that's going to be the answer. Like that's going to be the thing that puts my business over the top and finally gets me happy, you know, because then I'll be able to open another shop and then another shop and then another shop. And somehow this is all going to add up to me being happy. Which, I mean, looking back on it, of course, now with the mindfulness that I have, I realize how foolish this was. But when I'm inside of it, I couldn't tell for an instant that it was that it was wrong. It, it just seemed like not only did it seem not wrong, it seemed like the only choice I had, 
which which is also something that's a big time factor in stress. They've done a lot of, um, of, of studies and experiments with animals uh, showing that that when an animal feels as though it has no choice but to do a certain thing, the stress response goes way up really quickly. And, uh, and that's what was happening to me. I did not feel like I had a choice. And I was just kind of day after day after day, just going after this, you know, just, just putting myself in this position of just, you know, just trying to survive. Okay. Um, and that's when I hired this girl who was going to be my espresso person. Right. And, uh, and so it turns out on the first day, um, this girl, or maybe it was the second day or something like that, but, uh, but she, um, <clears throat> she basically, you know, when I said, okay, you know, do this, she would turn around and do that. And, and when I said, don't do that, she would turn around and do that. And it was just, it was just like one thing after the other. And, um, and I really, again, I really wasn't an angry person. It wasn't anger. It was, it was more, you know, again, just this crippling stress that I had over, you know, just, just kind of overly, you know, just aroused in my system so that every little thing that happened just kind of erupted in a, in a stress response. And, um, and so, so that way, you know, as a result of that, I should say that every time I would speak to someone, they felt as though I was yelling at them. Okay. But I wasn't, I was just trying to make it through my day. Right. And, um, and so I'm only telling this story because I've, I've talked about the angry art thing quite a bit. And I just wanted you to get a better idea of, of what this means. And, um, and essentially what it was, was just, again, it was a combination of stress, exhaustion, and, uh, and just anxiety and worry, you know, and, uh, and the, just the, the, the wearing down of my, my psyche after, you know, 25 years or something of just always thinking that my happiness was somewhere out there. Okay. And so, so the reason I'm telling you all this is, is only, you know, not only to explain what angry art meant, but also just to show you that again, if I had it to live over again, I would have known that, that it didn't matter. It really didn't matter whether I, I worked all those hours or I didn't work all those hours. And, you know, if I had that kind of money or I didn't have that kind of money, really what, what matters is to be, to be comfortable and to be happy in the moment. Okay. Cause that's what I was missing. What I was doing was trying to live in some kind of future moment thinking that that was how I was going to earn my happiness somehow. And, and I'm telling you right now, folks, if you're in this situation, if any of this is resonating with you, I really want you to get in touch with me and, and let's talk about where you are and where you really think you're going versus where you are right now and, and what you could be doing right now to make yourself happy. Because looking back on it, I realized that, you know, not only did I exhaust myself, not only did I make myself into this sort of highly anxious and, and really, you know, just terribly stressed out person, but I also sacrificed all that time. Okay. I just, I lost out on years and years and years of time that I could have been happy. Okay. And if I look back now, I realized that like, 
you know, it's not like I'm rich now. And it's not like I have everything that I thought that I was striving for. I'm about to turn 50 years old. And I, I literally never got to the goal that I had set for myself all those years ago. And so therefore, it just seems like all of a waste. And, and I hate to think about anybody else out there wasting all their precious years. And these are the years of your youth. These are the years of when you should be, you know, vibrant and, and exploring the world and, and, and trying to do things that, that like make you happy. And now exploring the world doesn't mean that you have to be enormously wealthy to do that, right? I always had that idea was that, you know, I would just work, 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 work. And then at some point I would have so much money that I could just explore the world then. But guess what? It didn't happen. So now I didn't get to explore the world and I didn't get the money. And here I am with two kids and, and trying to trying to just make sense of it all, you know? And, um, and so if I had it to do all over again, I surely would have just, you know, um, you know, not been in the corporate environment. I would have, I would have just, you know, sort of figured out a way to travel on the cheap and just live a cheap life, but a happy life. Now, I'm not saying that, that you need to quit your job. I'm not saying that, that there's no way to be happy in a, in a situation where you are trying to make a lot of money, okay? I mean, money is beautiful, and a lot of people, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's, a good, there's a good side of money, let me say it that way, right? But there's, it's also very possible to, you know, somehow at least keep yourself in a comfortable place, which is which is which means to to be present with what's going on with you in the moment okay and and that's what was missing for me it was never about what's happening right now it's always about what do i need to happen right now so that i can get that thing that's over that hill over there <clears throat> and my friends that's where the problems arise so if you feel yourself living in this constant you know future paced kind of life where where you're always living for something that's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or in the next decade you know i would i would ask you to really really be careful and i would ask you to make sure that number one make sure that's what you really want and make sure that you understand what's going to be what you're going to have to sacrifice to get it and uh and i would say that that you're much much more likely to find happiness if you focus on your happiness in the moment rather than thinking that somehow it's going to come as long as you work hard enough to get there okay because again i think i'm not alone in this i think there's a lot of people who are 50 60 70 years old looking back on their lives and realizing that the happiness they were striving for never really happened and and that they could have been happier if they had adjusted just a few things. And again, this doesn't mean giving up your job. That doesn't mean giving up your dreams. It doesn't mean giving up your goals and ambitions. What it means is just doing it a little bit differently. And the, and the key to that is to do it with a mindful presence in the present moment. Okay, so I hope that makes sense to everybody. Again, this was just sort of a, you know, it's it's 1030 at night. I, I didn't get a chance to do the podcast earlier. And I promised myself and promised someone else I was going to do one every day. So I just wanted to share this with you, a little bit of my backstory. Uh, I'm sort of, I guess, practicing my storytelling here too. I hope I'm getting better. Um, and so, yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there. And uh, I hope that 
it resonated with you on some level and I hope you enjoyed this and I, I really really thank you for listening and I thank you for tuning in with me and um, and well with that I'm just going to as usual I'm going to very sincerely wish you well okay my friends have a great night and I will be back tomorrow <laughs>